0: Podcast. This is Alia and Ellie. I'm
1: Nadia and Leslie. We are the queer Arabs. I'm Saudi American and a lesbian.
0: I'm bi trans Lebanese.
1: we Lebanese American art ho <laughs> And we are um, we are talking to our friend Leslie today. Um, who is we're super excited to have him. And we met him through Adam El the person who was on the podcast, who. he's okay he's okay he's the creator of drowning in cairo so you all might remember him and yeah we've been waiting for a while to get leslie on the podcast so we're super excited we're going to talk about the things he does so welcome leslie
2: Oh, glad to be here glad to finally be on the podcast
1: uh can you give people a little bit about your background
2: uh yeah so i was born and raised in little rock arkansas um, I went to middle and high school run by Turkish people mostly uh, so I traveled to Turkey a lot uh, from like 10 to 17 and so Turkish was my second language not that I remember much of it and then at 17 I moved to Abu Dhabi to start school at NYU Abu Dhabi which is where I met Adam
1: Yeah. Aw, that's awesome. And you're right, right now you're in Orlando at a conference. Can you talk about what the conference is about and what your role is, what you're doing?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm at the ATHE conference in Orlando. It's the Association for Theater and Higher Education. Uh, it's my first year here, so I can't tell you a ton about it. It's also my first day, so going well. Um, but I am presenting on a panel. Uh, the panel is supposed to be about Uh, Muslim Middle Eastern identities uh, in the context of the U.S., so kind of looking at diasporic intersectional identities. um, I presented my thesis paper that was on Beirut pride, um, and because it's a shortened version for a panel, uh, I was mostly looking at how removing the concept of pride from the North American European context and placing it in Beirut elucidates some of our underpinnings of what pride should be Uh, so it really highlights the visibility and the kind of protest that's implicit within pride or western imaginary beliefs should be implicit within pride and starts to question uh, the things we hold so dear about pride and really um, how necessary is visibility really questioning whether visibility automatically means liberation which it doesn't yeah and really rethinking how we look at pride I
3: mean, really yeah cool. i guess sometimes visibility means you're more of a target
2: which is the issue um so bear pride of course was shut down last year um in shanghai pride has caused a bunch of issues with the police in moscow pride has turned violent um i believe there was also an issue in poland a couple of weeks ago or maybe that was a month ago time is time is a lot but there were uh, molotov cocktails as people marched through the street
1: you're right it's important to uh acknowledge the downside of pride in various contexts and not just kind of make the blanket statement of like pride is what we need everywhere and it needs to look the same everywhere
2: well and also just acknowledging the privilege which is implicit within that model of pride there are only certain people that are able to be visible um there are only certain people that can afford um to go to big events like that especially if they're not from the city that it's hosted in um and then being physically able to march um so there's lots of layers of privilege that add up to having a big march or parade or something like
1: that
0: yeah that's interesting so the reason why we're discussing this is for those who don't have this context uh in america the idea is if you're out invisible it humanizes queer people and therefore makes people less likely to discriminate less likely to do bad things see queer people as human This makes certain assumptions, of course, as Leslie was talking about, about wealth, about access, and so forth. And so my question would be, after all that, coming after that, would be, so what do you think the difference is, at least in Beirut pride?
2: So Beirut pride is really interesting. Uh, When you think about pride, normally the first thing you think about is the parade. You think about people marching through the streets, that kind of thing and they Pride hasn't had a parade yet um i would assume there's one being planned for 2019 but we'll see but yeah baby pride hasn't had a parade so it's often rethought a- about ways of visibility um in 2017 uh Hadi Damian, the organizer of pride canceled the parade because there were so many people and he decided instead that they should go have a picnic on a mountainside and so that became really more about you know, internal visibility for their own community and less about being visible to the external world Uh, and then in each iteration of Beirut Pride, I don't think it happened last year because of the shutdown, uh, but there's been a bar night planned at Marmikaya, a bunch of uh, bars, I think especially radio, will hang up uh, pride flags and so it creates a space, it reclaims the urban space for queer people, but it doesn't single out individual bodies. And so it enables a sort of like herd immunity that there's lots of queer people in the space and the space is obviously meant for queer people without being like, oh, that one person is queer. That's, yeah. that's
0: pretty cool. Like having a welcoming space is more important than having visibility in those places. So would you say that's true?
2: I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, if you're trying to create community, I think a welcoming space is the most important. Uh, if, you're sim- if you're trying to organize politically, um, then visibility can also be very important. The uh, goals justify the means, I guess. Uh, that was one thing. I was able to go to the Queer Film Festival in Tunis, uh, hosted by Mao Zedin back in March. And I absolutely loved it. And a lot of it was, it was created for a community, to build a community. Um, it was all movies from the global south, so there weren't any of the like weird U.S. rom-coms about two gays two gay guys like hooking up it was just really wholesome um indie films from south asia from north africa a couple from lebanon from south america uh from china and just all these places that you don't normally see queer films from and then presented in such a way that like hey we're all gonna sit down together as a group and we're gonna watch these films like there's there were no rainbow flags except for rainbow flags that people might have brought in from the outside. Uh, Maljudin did all their own branding. Uh, they made a pink superhero with like these dark blue backgrounds, and the tagline was like, we are all superheroes. Um, I really wish I had gotten to interrogate that line a little bit more, but uh, maybe that's maybe that's something if you ever have Maljudin on, ask, ask one of them about the line.
1: I tweeted them. I, I'm gonna try again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so cool. You went to that. Um, was it pretty well attended? Or?
2: Oh yeah. Opening night. It was completely packed, uh, which was really funny. It was like last year they realized they had too many people, and so they had to move to like a bigger space downtown, and so they got this theater. I'd say there'd be about like 50 seats, and it was completely packed opening night. There was a performance the next night, and. Um, It was crazy. It was this like kind of small studio space, Um, and so we like all had to wait outside, and then we were all packed on the stairs. We get upstairs and we have to like cram in, like sitting on the floor. There were some chairs lined up, but like everybody was either on the floor in a chair. There were some people standing in the back, which I don't even know if they could see. Uh, Yeah, there was. There was a real enthusiasm and, like, a craving for
0: the festival. I know that feeling. Just yeah. saying. yeah, I felt I felt similarly with Yellow Punk, just saying. Just
3: next oh. Um, So I think you kind of bring up how visibility can mean in either, like, external visibility, like, as a political statement showing to the mainstream, like, we're queer people and this is what that means. We're not awful. Um, versus, like, internal visibility, which is more, like, letting people know that there's a community available to them, that there are other queer people around them, that there are safe spaces available. And I think sometimes what these, like, art-focused festivals can do is really create the latter type of space because, like, there is something that is, like, publicly visible, which is the work of art, which is kind of at the center rather than, like, any particular person involved in it. But at the same time, like... You can go there and see that there's a whole bunch of fucking people interested in it.
0: I know that's kind of one of the reasons we did we're doing the podcast. That's literally our tagline. We exist. So I totally get to having that internally facing community and having sort of a rally and cry for that. Right. And it's Which also cool. Of course,
3: cool. there has to be some some element of external stuff so people
1: can find it. Well, I but mean, there's the art. The yeah.
0: It's like, yeah, hey, we have right. a culture.
1: Yeah, and that probably does a lot to um, further the political goals while also giving us safe, like a safe community for people.
0: I mean, it kind of mirrors the Western take on this, because before we had Stonewall and the riots, uh, we had the whole homophile movement, which built up quite internal support, and they tried the the whole respectability politics, which failed. But yeah, uh, they also had to build that internally facing community. They had to meet each other. They had to have some way to organize in the first place you can't just like have everyone show up and be like hey pride I guess
1: mm-hmm. so. yeah,
2: totally. yeah of course there's always been like clear signaling um, whether it's been in bars or clubs or things like that um, and honestly I, I really enjoy like internal community building aspects I think that's why I enjoy volunteering at trans camp all the time um, so that's another yeah. thing about me I work as a camp counselor at Trans Camp uh, every yes. summer. You just you um, just
1: got back from that.
2: Yeah, I got back two weeks ago and then I just agreed the other day to go back. Uh, they do family camp weekends and so parents can go with their kids and do that. And like the parents go to like talking sessions in the morning and then they like spend time with their kids in the afternoon. Um and it's in the woods, which is a nice break from New York City. But more importantly, it's a place where trans kids can see, like, oh, there are other kids like me, especially and for some like, more rural areas. Yeah, and there's adults. Like, uh, some of them, like, don't have trans, they have no idea what trans futurity looks like. They have no idea what their life is going to look like in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. And so uh, it's really important for them to have role models of, like, oh, like, I will live there will be a
0: future, things will happen, and like some of them will be pretty good. So because that brings up memories. like When I first came out uh, in the early 2000s, uh, I went to a support group because I just needed some kind of community. So I went to the trans support group here in Houston. And the only people I saw were like 40-somethings who also recently just came out and had blown up their entire lives and careers. And they were talking about kids and divorces and... While all that stuff was kind of depressing and hard for me to relate to, just because I'm not, I wasn't there. I didn't have a career. I didn't have a family or marriage to blow up. But on the other hand, it's like, hey, there's older people here. Some of them have gotten past that. Some of them have a lie, life. Some of them, you know, have a career post this. So while yeah, I got to see the see the downside of it. I also got to see like the long term. It was really hopeful, even though these were basically a bunch of white people too. But hey. Take what you can get.
1: Mm. Leslie, did you have a space like that? Like,
2: no, not really. Um, most of the representation I saw was on TV. And then um, my friend tried to come out, like, the start of our senior year of high school. And um, nobody was super accepting, but I started watching the YouTube videos that they were suggesting. And I was like, oh, this feels familiar. And then I was just like, I'm going to wait till I leave high school so that I don't have to blow up any sort of, like, relationships, anything like that. I'm going to go really far for college, and I'll just live my life there. Which is totally not how that works. But here we are.
1: But you did it. You went all the way to Abu Dhabi.
2: (laughs) I did. I went from one religiously conservative location to another. it was a very wise move i was an interesting 17 year old we were uh, you uh, met,
0: 17 I, met Adam. I i always found that like sort of that weird mentality it's like oh hey i'll start transition after i get there when like transition can be like a, like most like at minimum like a year just to sort of get unless you already look the look but you know hormones take about a year to really start hitting you you know if you're lucky I always find that idea of like, oh hey, I'll go here and transition, and it'll be a nice clean break. No, there's there's baggage. There's so much baggage.
2: Yeah, no, hormones like were not a thing in Abu Dhabi, so uh, here we are. Uh,
3: Do you t- want to talk more about
2: your experience at NYUAD? Oh, theater. I, uh, or or just like either theater or like. Oh, live. my experience. Yeah. Sorry, I heard Shakespeareans. That's how I like <laughs> a theater. I I yeah. Um,
3: Sorry, I moved my okay. laptop to be closer to the power source, and now I'm getting like worse reception. So, sorry.
2: Oh, it's all good. Um, yeah, so I spent four years at Abu Dhabi. I, um, I was able to get two semesters abroad. So, I spent a few months in Tel Aviv. Um, I'm now going to get kicked off this podcast. And uh, then a few months in Berlin, um, which I really like to tell the story of. I went to Abu Dhabi, um, it had a bunch of Arab culture, uh, which, you know, like, being semi-raised by Turkish people, having a strong Turkish influence in my life, the kind of Muslim culture felt quite familiar to me, like, of course, uh, Gulf Arabs are a lot different than Turks, so there was some adapting, but the thing like, oh, this is Ramadan, or this is Eid, I'm like, yeah, I got you, like, we're good. And so, like, Arabness was cool, like, Islam was chill. And then I went to Tel Aviv, and, like, LGBT stuff was great. Like, I could go to the LGBT center anytime I wanted to. LGBT clubs everywhere. Um, Of course, as a white person, like, that was obviously a privilege. Like, not all LGBT people have access to all those things, especially not in Israel. And then, but Arab things weren't cool. So, like, I went to a cafe in Tel Aviv that was down the street from my dorm. I went there... Almost every day, every other day, multiple times a week. But this one day, I took my Arabic book because I was studying Arabic, and I uh, had it open, was doing my homework, and one of the waiters comes up to me and is like, "What the fuck?" I was like, "Hello, good to see you today too." Like, and I couldn't tell if he was trying to be like growing with me, like, "Oh hey, what the fuck," or like he was seriously offended by my Arabic book. Um. Yeah, so, Tel Aviv was like, oh, you can have that, like, LGBT part of your life, but all the, like, Arab Muslim stuff, not cool. And so, when I got to Berlin, I was like, oh, you can be gay, and look at all these Turkish neighborhoods, and, like, all these refugees, like, there's plenty of, like, Islamic culture around. Oh, and the Turkish night, like, one of the nightclubs in the Turkish area has a queer night every, like, month. Whoa. Whoa. And so that's where I was every month. Um, And then there was even more interesting was while I was there, um, a recent refugee started another queer night like across town. And it was really interesting to see the way, the different ways that the two manifested. Because one was like within the Turkish neighborhood, uh, which is still quite conservative, um, just like second and third generation Turkish people. And so their families are with them. They don't want to be super out. There's a policy that like no taking photos in the club. Like if you do, they'll kick you out or like take your phone or whatever. Um, and it was all quite like hush hush. But then at the new the new party that started popping up was by a recent refugee, and I think kind of geared towards refugees. And so like they didn't have any family around, they didn't care what got onto social media. So they had like the club photographer there taking pictures, and like those pictures ended up online. Um, and it was just a weird break and honestly like a generational gap from oh, this is how the queer Arab community works in Berlin and this is how the new queer Arab community that's coming into Berlin and finding freedom in Berlin works.
3: I think that also goes back to like who's visibility good for and who's it not good for?
2: Well, who's allowed visibility and who's not.
3: Right.
0: I always feel like the visibility always comes with... Uh... Almost always comes with the privilege of a though, because if you've got money saved up, you can, of course, afford to lose your job for a while if you're outed. If you've got money, you can always move away from your parents, or, you know, you can always have a sympathetic relative put you up. But, you know, it's mm. basically money and connections, like it always is, or at least that's, like, my cynical fucking self.
3: I mean, yes, but also, like, sometimes it's, like, I don't have any family so I can be visible, which also is... That.
2: Exactly. That was the case for a couple of the refugees at least. Um, Either their family was still back in their home country, or their family wasn't around anymore. Uh And so they got to Berlin and they had a new life. Their circumstances of being able to be visible were unfortunate, but it did provide them an opportunity to be visible.
1: So then, how was it once you got to Abu Dhabi? How were things?
2: oh once i got back to Albany, i was i was very upset there was no more queer clubbing uh yeah i was just like oh i am resubjecting myself to this um yeah and it was really weird because being away from the uae for a while i realized how much i was self-censoring which is honestly how the country works they're like hey if you curse online you could go to jail for x many years If you, like, try to raise money for a charity online, you could go to jail for why many years? And so you learn all these rules about how you're not supposed to report, and you don't do it out of fear. And it's not because you know that somebody's going to come tell you it's wrong, but you do it because you're scared of what happens if somebody does tell you it's wrong. Um, Because, like, as somebody living there on a visa, like, they can deport you whenever they want to. That's how that government works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, okay... Now, I have to go follow all those rules I just unlearned because I wasn't living there. I have to relearn yeah. all, the, all my rules, and I have to be a good little
1: citizen, and yeah. How about within the NYU context? Like, did, did you have something at least? Like, how much of a bubble do you get afforded there?
2: I mean, honestly, the NYU campus there is very self sustainable. Like, if you don't want to leave campus, you don't have to. Uh, I personally start going crazy after about a week and I start getting like kind of moody and I'm like, oh, when was the last time I went on campus? Ah, too long ago. Let me let me leave. Let me go get yeah. some kids ice cream. Let me like go grab some bubble tea from the mall. Let me go be a capitalist home, basically. Uh, that was the solution to everything, um, which is ironic because it's UAE, and that is the solution. Yeah. But yeah, so like NYU is quite a bubble. You don't, I mean, like you have Emiratis in your classes, you have Emiratis on campus, but if you don't want to interact with Emiratis off campus, you don't have to. Um, especially since it's usually not Emiratis working in the service industry or any sort of hospitality, anything that you'd interact with on a daily basis anyway.
1: Yeah.
2: And so it's, and so you can be as insular as you want. Uh, Which is quite unfortunate, because that is what a lot of the expat communities turn into. As they turn into communities of expats, uh, specifically like, oh, you hang out with your work friends from work. And like, yeah, and so you can mix in the UAE if you want to, you can also just be insular and not interact with people. Um, I interacted with a lot of people on campus, but not a lot of people off campus. Uh, but some sometimes that was like safety concerns and unsureness of how to interact with people off campus or just simply how to find people off campus. Um, people work there like nine to five and then they go home. Like some, it's kind of hot in the UAE usually. Like you're not just walking around trying to meet people. Um, so, and if I'm on campus, I'm on campus. Like I'll, I'll talk to anybody that's on campus, but that's usually just other students.
1: Um, And speaking of like queer stuff, or I guess like campus stuff at least, uh, you mentioned there was some queer theater, so that sounds like at least something. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Uh, Yeah, so under the guise of academic freedom, we were kind of allowed to do whatever we wanted to. um, As long as as long as it was academics related, we could justify that. So Adam was able to write his play Drowning in Cairo as a student at NYU Abu Dhabi. It was his capstone, his uh, thesis, sorry. That's all word for capstone. So it was his thesis project um, and he was able to do a reading there. Um, of course, invite only. Uh, and then that same year, there was a production called Julia, a Lesbian. It was a devised one woman theater piece about a lesbian and Julia. And she, it podcasts. was a really, yeah, if, if you couldn't acquire that from the title, um, it's a really weird piece. So Julie is about to move in with her girlfriend, whose name I can't remember right now, but then she also like has this thing for this girl named Linda, and she ends up inviting Linda over this weekend that she's supposed to be packing to move in with her girlfriend. Uh, she hooks up with Linda, She wakes up in the morning with a bad hangover. Her girlfriend calls, and her girlfriend's like, how's the packing going? She's like, great. And you can see that the box is empty. And then
1: uh, Blackout.
2: It's a very very intricate play.
1: Did you have, like, did people respond well on campus to plays like this, like queer-centered plays?
2: Um, The house was sold out. uh, Both nights, I believe. Uh, there were a lot of people there, but I'm not sure if it was just like, oh, this is my friend's play, I'm going to go support them, or like, or like, so was definitely an interesting queer theater. Uh, but there was also a big controversy over the posters that went up to advertise this. Um, one of the specific complaints was that it didn't say it was part of the theater program, and therefore technically the poster wasn't covered under academic freedom. So it was like, from now on, please write that you're part of the
0: theater program in order to put your poster up.
1: Oh god. A oh,
0: technicalities. Beautiful, <laughs> uh, wonderful technicalities.
1: It's ridiculous. Yeah, we're if, like...
2: Oh, of good. course, that, that meant that there were posters all around campus with the word lesbian on them, <laughs> and then the icon was a silhouette of a girl with a uh, bra hanging off of her fingertip. Nice.
1: So uh, uh, wow. everybody
2: loved it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It sounds wonderfully with... scandalous. It
1: does. Like, was all of the administration kind of pushing back on those posters? Was anyone supportive? Any faculty supportive?
2: Yeah, so uh, it it became a big issue with administration, um, specifically because there are certain regulations about what we're allowed to put on posters. Uh, So we had a big town hall. Um, and one of my academic mentors, who was the capstone advisor, Deborah, was super uh, helpful and honestly was really fighting the fight uh, to keep these posters up uh, because it was her student. She knew it was protected under academic freedom and the administration just really didn't want the po- – the administration was like, there's this public area and there's this private area and, like, things like this need to stay in the private area. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, as a trans person, I could be arrested in public. Does that mean that I need to stay in my room now? Because I'm I'm still doing most of my classwork in bed. Is that is that what we're, what we're into now? Yeah. Um and then they went back to talking about posters and didn't answer my question. So Oh my god,
1: shifted the focus. Well, yeah. at least there was Deborah. She sounds awesome.
2: Yeah, she's pretty great.
1: Yay, Deborah. Uh speaking of theater, like i you're involved in theater can you talk about like what you do specifically
2: Uh, yeah so i am a freelance lighting designer emphasis on uh freelance um hopefully not the free part of that word but i yeah i try to make money
3: yeah
2: i feel ya, I feel ya. <laughs> uh, so as soon as i moved to new york in june i started as the lighting designer for national Career theater's criminal queerness festival uh which was the first production of Drowning in Cairo. It also featured a trans play from Kenya called Wapaka-123, a uh, gay play from Pakistan, also written by an NYU Abu Dhabi alumni, uh, Fatima Man, and the play is Johnjo Dipanwon Chankar. Uh, It means Butterflies Are Free. It's an adaptation from a play in English called Butterflies Are Free. John Jard Dupan One Kai it does not actually mean butterflies are free, but that's what play it's from. Yeah, we actually
0: and got then, to, we actually got to see that while we were in New York, and it was kind of awesome.
1: It was great. Didn't. How was it? Uh, it was
0: pretty good. Uh, if I do say so
2: myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun, and definitely captured a lot of the uh very uh overbearing mother aspect of interacting with the queer lifestyle
1: totally uh and it was very enlightening and it was very lit thanks to Leslie. i'm
0: glad i could provide my services <laughs> it really shone a light on the subject matter
1: it was a really bright moment in our lives
0: um and the last part of the festival was joker by elon Liu,
2: it's about a chinese filipino family in hawaii um, and it turns out that the Filipino husband actually used to be a gay activist in the Philippines and has since moved to Hawaii and is now in a straight marriage. Uh, drama ensues. Uh, yeah, and then after that, I have an internship at Bushwick Star, just kind of doing electrical things. And I just got a gig at a secret theater. I'm working on Annie, doing the lights.
3: Oh, wait, that's of- like... This is really random, but the one time I, like, did lights for a show, it was at Secret Theater.
2: Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing. Someone just gave me the cue thing and was like, can you light my piece? We don't have anyone else to do it. And I was like, okay. But I, like, I felt like a god sitting there because I was just like, let there be light. (laughs) And then it was lit. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully Annie will also be super late. Uh.
1: With you there, it will be. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
0: Um, I mean, it just foreshadows there... success.
1: <laughs> foreshadows. Oh. What a shining <laughs> example of our fun skills.
0: <laughs> Again, definitely a bright spot of this podcast.
1: Wow, you're really on a roll. Let's call you Butter. So, Leslie, if people want to follow you or contact you, what's the best way?
2: I have a Facebook call. Like, honestly, Facebook's the best. Yeah, just add me, or you can follow me on Instagram, but I, like, really don't post, so That's it's kind of cool. useless. Yeah.
1: Can you give your uh, Facebook and Instagram?
2: Yeah, my Facebook is Leslie Gray. Currently, it's a photo of me and a gray t-shirt and there's like some flowers behind my head and then my instagram is at less the gray um i had a weird scare a couple weeks ago with my instagram somebody like logged in and i had to change my they, they changed my user id my name and the email what the and i figured i figured it out within like two minutes of it happening so i changed it all back before they could like completely lock me out uh, but it wouldn't give me back my other, my other handle, so it's at L-E-S-T-H-E-G-R-A-Y. Damn, Those that's monsters. Yeah. as
0: fuck.
2: Yeah, I also keep getting emails about my Facebook recovery code, and I keep being like, Facebook, I didn't ask for this, and they're like, oh, are you sure? And I'm like, absolutely, can I turn uh, off these codes? And then I'll get another email, like, two minutes later for another code, and I'm like, I just turned those off.
1: Uh, what is going on? Who is trying to get at your social media? Honestly,
2: my social media is... Figure this out. My social media is not that important, so... Like, I don't want to say you can have it, because I I, I need it. But also, like, you're not going to get anything from it.
1: No one steal Leslie's social media, please. Like, just Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. your own. Steal someone
3: who posts more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Steal
0: somebody with more followers. (laughs) Yeah. yeah go hijack g- their AdSense. <laughs> uh,
1: so anyway, I guess, yeah, I know this is the time that people have to go. So um, we are at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. And we're on thequeerarabs.com. Um, you can email Ahmed at arabs in Arabic at gmail.com. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at that same name. So pretty straightforward. <laughs> And then Nadia's on Instagram mostly, right? Nadia in yeah. her own world. Any other way you want people to be able to contact you or is Instagram the best? Instagram is good. Uh, my website is uh,
3: nadiak.tk, but you could also find that on Instagram. so yeah. Check out her Tell website. She just, she just, I just made it. it though. Work, so if you have suggestions, particularly on the mobile version, let me know.
0: Thanks All for right. listening, everyone.
1: Thank you so much, Leslie, for being on this.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Sorry We've for been the a- extra noise. It's real life. Fault. You do stuff. Yeah. All right. I so, stuff. And sometimes it's lit. Sometimes it's lit.
0: Well played. Sometimes it's dark.